0: Put wow. that on as an F. That's an next NFT right there.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, we are me. recording. Dang it, he got me. Hello, my friends.
2: Thank you for joining us for the PEBCAC podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week seven of 2022. I'm Chris Louis, and wishing all our listeners a very happy Valentine's Day. The opening ceremony has kicked off in Beijing for the Winter Olympics, and I haven't watched a single minute of the coverage. With me, I have my co-host Brian Deach, who is a
1: huge fan of curling and has not missed a single minute of it. You know what they say, curls for the girls, or in my case, curls for my girl. I'm a married man.
2: And we have Glenn Medina, whose favorite movie is Cool Runnings, and his favorite
0: Olympic sport is the two-man bobsled. Hey everyone, welcome back and thanks for joining us. Happy to be back for podcast number 47. And just for your information, Chris, Cool Runnings had a four-person bobsled with the late John Candy. And one of my favorite lines from that is when he hits the uh, one of the guys on top of the head because his helmet doesn't fit. He says, he says how's that fit now? The guy goes, thanks, coach. So. <laughs> yeah, it was
2: really, I remember that.
0: Yeah, it was a, really a find
2: a way or make one situation for, the, for the, that team. This week, our guest is Huxley Dunzini, a longtime listener of the show and first-time guest. Fun fact: he is the only guest we've ever had on the show who has been at Zscaler longer than I have. Huxley, would you like to introduce yourself?
3: <laughs> sure. I don't know how much more I can add beyond what you just did, but uh, I have a background. Spent a few years at Cisco and more years at Apple, and I like to dabble in weird stuff. So I'm excited to be here. I like the show a lot, and I'm uh, excited to be a guest.
1: Hux, my, my bald brother in. Great to have you on the show.
3: <laughs> yes. Yes. We are both streamlined. You
1: guys have the same haircut.
3: I got to work on the beard, in... though.
1: Yeah. X Games mode. That's what we're
0: in right now. You guys know. It's just follically challenged on the head, but unlike me, I can't grow facial hair. So, ha. Ha. <laughs>
2: So a fun story, or a fun fact, when I first came on board at Zscaler, I actually shadowed Huxley on some of his calls, and the actual very first call I joined was uh, when Huxley was doing a demo to a company in Brazil. So I joined the call, and the, his sales rep was speaking Portuguese, she was very she was fluent in Portuguese and presenting to them, and I signed on, I said, wait, what, what did I just join? <laughs> Am I on the right call? And then thankfully, when when it came time for Huxley to do the demo, he did it in English. So I was actually able to understand what he was doing.
0: Would you Can have we... been more surprised if he had done that in Portuguese? <laughs>
2: I would have. I would have. I said, I would really would have said like, wait, wait, what am I doing here? <laughs> I don't understand. I thing. know a
3: handful of words in Portuguese, but only only enough to get through uh, jiu-jitsu training. I don't think I could do a full technical demo in Portuguese. <laughs> oh,
1: <laughs> I would be very impressed if you if you could. All I know is like during my my ramp, I had to like watch a video that he had recorded, like the golden demo, I believe. And I remember just like listening to him like, oh, my God, I'll never be like this guy. Like, who is this guy? It's that radio quality voice. Yeah.
3: You're it was probably great. one
1: take, wasn't it? Wasn't it, Hux? Don't even lie. Maybe one. Mr. DJ. There you go. <laughs>
3: I got the uh, the extra sultry voice today because I'm coming out of a cold, so I'm just going to apologize in advance if I lose my voice and or it's cracking halfway through everything I say. Yeah, that
2: was back in our, our scrappy startup days. That was before we could afford like a video editor or even video editing software. We just use whatever we could find and just yeah. to record. It might have been WebEx back then. We used to record.
3: Yeah, did a lot of work in iMovie.
2: Combined, we have decades of information security experience and are here not just to educate, but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. For our opening topic, another fun fact about our guest, Huxley is that he buys and restores old computers and random technology, and he tries to get a Zscaler logo to display on them. I've seen him post on Slack. He's put it on Apple IIs and Newtons and What I really want to see next is the old school Game Boy thermal printer. He's been interviewed by magazines, online publications, and even did a podcast about his hobby. So my question is, Huxley, what was the most enjoyable piece of tech that you got a Zscaler logo on? And what was the absolutely most frustrating one?
3: That's a good question. Good pair of questions. Um... I guess the most enjoyable one was probably the first one, the the one that kind of got the whole idea rolling, which was, I think you mentioned it, the Apple IIe. Um, that's where I started with the idea, and it required the use of some modern software to convert the Zscaler logo into double high-res graphic file that the Apple II could read. And I had just purchased a very cool gadget called a floppy emu. Let's you emulate floppy disks using downloadable image files from the internet. So it was a fun project to teach myself how that thing worked and shuttle the image over from a modern computer to the Apple II. And I guess the second one you, the second question you asked was the most frustrating one. Uh, I guess if we use frustrating to mean difficult, it's probably uh, a year or two ago, I rescued a vintage Hewlett Packard desktop plotter, which is a really cool piece of hardware. It's sort of like a, distant ancestor of a modern 3D printer in the sense that it's a printer, but it doesn't print using dots the way you might think like a dot matrix printer used to. It prints using straight lines in any directions. So it's literally moving the paper around underneath a pen. And so it makes a really cool noise when it's working and it shakes the whole table it's on. It's like heavy duty hardware, but It took a lot of work to get that thing moving, had to lubricate a jillion moving parts inside and had to find 37 year old drivers and get those working and then figure out how to convert the logo from uh, pixels into vectors. And it took, it took a stupid amount of time, way more than there was any practical benefit to, but I learned a lot. It was fun.
0: Do you yeah, have kids, not... Hux? Do you have kids? <laughs> I, I have a son, and he has, he
3: has some fun doing this stuff with me. He okay, likes to nerd out with me, thankfully. It would be a lot harder if you didn't.
0: Because my daughters would look at me and go, Dad, you're such a nerd. No, get we're out. not doing that with you. Yeah, can I have $100, and I'll be on my way, is what they would tell me.
3: Fair yeah, enough. It's not
2: like you can like throw this thing on a USB drive and plug it into an Apple II or an HP printer. Like You really have to know like how old tech works in order to get these things
3: up and running. It, I, I mean, some be. of them are easy, but but some of it, some of it, you have to kind of reverse engineer your way back in time and start thinking the way an engineer 30 years ago would have been thinking to figure out some stuff that they took for granted, but it's just not part of our workflow or mentality anymore.
0: I got I got a challenge for you, Hux. I want to see an got? Atari Twenty Six Hundred.
3: Oh, man. <laughs> What's that thing got? Like 512 bytes of RAM or something? Hey, <laughs> Not hey it's a challenge. That's why it's called <laughs> the like challenge, challenge, right? I might <laughs> take you up on that. I've got a nice one with yeah. the fake wood panels on the sides and everything. i gotta got to go. dig that out. I'll give it a try.
1: All right. I won't be happy until you do it on a TI-82. You know, bring me back to my college days. All right. A trash right. 82. Yeah, that's that's table stakes. Though. You
0: can yeah. put anything
2: on a graphic calculator. I, I used to play Mario on a graphing calculator.
3: What? That's fair. That's true. Mario? Yeah, there is Mario for uh, for graphic calculators. Oh. You put a bored kid in a room with a gadget, and before long, they're going to have Pong or Mario or something playing on it.
2: Doom. That's always the, the joke, right? Doom. Anytime you yeah. find an old piece of tech, like people try to see, can I run Doom on it?
3: Yeah, it's very true.
2: All right. For our first topic, and this will be our ransomware story of the week, there's a new strain of ransomware going around, which encrypts the victim's data, so no surprise there. It leaves a ransom note on the desktop. Again, no surprise. But instead of asking for cold hard cash or cryptocurrency in exchange for the decryption key, the author asks that you like and subscribe to his YouTube channel and comment on his videos. Once that's done and the author has verified it, he will provide the decryption key to recover the files. You've got to appreciate the hustle. I remember there were internet worms out there that were spreading malware that connected to internet connected printers and would print out messages that say like, you know, FT series, subscribe to PewDiePie. And there was even a malvertising service where you could take that network of infected printers and just print out random advertisements. So I thought that's just something different. It's ransomware, but he's doing it for likes and
1: subscribes. Hey, I talked about this a long time ago. It's only a matter of what you're a matter of time. Before we have malware that goes out there and just starts influencing videos and comments and and likes and all the you know, yeah. and everything else around that and start monetizing that in one way or another.
0: Well, did they monetize it already with the amount of clicks that videos get on YouTube? So maybe he's he's thinking this is a future thing as long as he can keep getting people to click on it.
3: Yeah, that's what got me thinking you... about this. Oh, go ahead.
2: The money you get from. Views and those ads, it's so little. Like I, I don't remember what the the rate is, but if you're not like on an unmanaged channel, it's like you get a tenth of a penny for every two thousand views or, or something like that. So I'd, it'd be easier if he asked for you know three hundred bucks in Bitcoin to get get your files back. But I guess
1: this guy just really wants to grow his channel. Yeah. You know, you're you're thinking that number one, people dumb enough to get ransomware in their computer are smart enough to have a wallet where they can pay someone three hundred dollars in Bitcoin. Uh, That's a stretch. I think the like, subscribe, and comment is a better method here. There's no jail time too, right?
0: I mean, hey, he was just telling me all I had to go do is like something. It's not like he was monetarily asking me for something.
2: It's still illegal to hack into other people's computers and spread malware, even if there's no monetary gain from it.
0: True, but the crime doesn't warrant the, you know, kicking down your door per se, right? Yeah,
2: I guess there's no like wire fraud or money laundering charges that would come yeah. along with it. So yeah, in a way,
1: yeah. different. Yeah, you're not gonna get you're not gonna get knocked
0: knocked at night with a no warrant.
1: I'm gonna do it my own like ransomware malware that just it shouts out random compliments like throughout the day through your speakers, right? Like, Lovely hat.
3: <laughs>
1: Keep up the uplifting. good work.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I something about this story it made me think back to when I was a kid, the first virus I ever uh, was exposed to is something called Sidewinder. I don't know if any of you guys remember this. Sidewinder was a virus that I found on a floppy disk on my old IBM PC it was the first computer I ever had back in the early 90s. And you'd run the file. I thought it was a game, you know, the name Sidewinder sounded like a cool, you know, shoot 'em up game or something. And instead of running a game, you'd get a very crappy animated Pac-Man that would march across your screen eating whatever text was on screen, and then it would freeze your computer with a message asking you to send a happy birthday card to the author. And it just it got me thinking with this this ransomware essentially blackmailing people into liking and commenting on social media. It's sort of the same thought. It's like the, the commoditization of, of human engagement in some weird way. Like if you can't really make friends, you can blackmail them into being friends.
1: Yep. Somebody has daddy issues.
3: There you go. There you go. Some things never change. All right.
1: It's that age old question. Would
2: you rather be loved or feared? And some people go the fear route.
3: Some try to go one to get to the other, it never works out very well.
1: Yeah. Or the Michael Scott one, I rather have people fear how much they love me. <laughs> there you go.
3: <laughs> Nailed it. Best of both worlds. Hit,
0: didn't Hitler say something like that or Stalin? <laughs> or is that a Mao think? You might
1: be right. I think I've heard that before. But like Seer lasts longer, right? Is the punchline. Yeah. 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 Spin that's the wheel with dictators. Yeah, that's actually
2: a Machiavelli the one of the political theorists and i can't remember what year he was but yeah it's said he wrote a book called the prince and he said if you had to be if you had to choose to be loved or to be feared it's better to be feared because fear you can control more and love can easily evaporate in, in times of war
1: yeah, like, I love Jack-in-the-box tacos until they come pouring out of me, like <laughs> we described
3: in the last episode. And then you know exactly what fear truly is. <laughs> and then, then you fear it. Yeah, nice callback, nice So call you do Brian. admit it, Brian.
0: You do admit going to Jack-in-the-box. You
1: know, we have our, our delicacies, right? That we like to
2: indulge in on. Yeah, I don't think he ever denied eating them. I think he just despises them. And he probably hates himself after he eats them, too. That's what I'm guessing.
0: It's probably on his third or fourth day or his fourth workout session during the week where he's earned the
1: right to eat two greasy tacos from <laughs> from Jack in a Box. My pre-workout this morning was a handful of chocolate. It was, it was amazing. Didn't go very well, though. I imagine it wouldn't.
2: All right, for our next topic, we have two stories here, and, and they're actually conflicting each other, but I thought they were interesting stories nonetheless. The first story states that only 22% of Microsoft Azure Active Directory users have enrolled in multi-factor authentication, so about one in five. While abysmally low, it, that's, that's actually totally believable. Security is hard and getting users to comply is even harder. Enabling multi-factor authentication significantly increases security, but it also requires the user to carry on a smartphone or a device, basically something they have in order to log on. Now, I carry my YubiKey on my keychain, but not all users want to have this physical token. Many cybersecurity insurance carriers now require multi-factor authentication for all user accounts in order to get coverage, or the insured party will have to pay a gigantic surcharge on their insurance premium. The U.S. Department of Homeland Security also advises that enabling multi-factor authentication is the single most important step to prevent data breaches and cyber attacks, yet only 22% of Azure AD users have enabled MFA, which is surprising because Azure Active Directory users are generally enterprise-level customers. That's actually higher than Twitter. If you remember back on episode 19, we reported that only 2.3% of Twitter's users have at least one form of multi-factor authentication enabled.
0: So I think there's a difference between the two, right? So Microsoft Azure AD is typically enterprise based, right? Um, And Twitter is personal use, right? Yep. I I think there's a big difference between the two. And it's probably mostly bots anyway. Yeah, but oh my God, it's 2022 and people still can't get MFA or get forced to use MFA from an enterprise standpoint give me a stinking break come on people get your act together I, mfa I mean, is not that difficult
1: it isn't but i i think there's better ways of doing it i think mfa should be transparent to the end user in my opinion
3: yeah you know i wanted to ask you guys assuming this 22 percent stat is you know uh both a legit number and roughly representative of the bigger picture of 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 mfa adoption around the different providers like what's it going to take like risk alone isn't enough to get more than you know a fifth of users enrolled in multi factor authentication so what is it going to take to get this to be a more widespread uh, security uh, philosophy in in practice i mean obviously people are aware of it now but I, what are, what are we going to need to do to get this more widely used
1: well here's the here's the problem right like if you close your eyes and imagine the like the absolute dumbest person in the world there's people even dumber than that, right? Like I, I've been hiking <laughs> where there's like a little gorge, right? And there's a mother and father and they're literally throwing the kid across the gorge because like it's the, the it's the only way to get them across it. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, this is insane. So unfortunately, this is why I always kind of lean back on transparent MFA, um, hone in on the end user's device if it's trusted, look at other things. Uh, Microsoft, maybe the reason why they don't have MFA here is because they're doing conditional access roles.
2: I think it's it's the tyranny of the default. So Microsoft by default does not require MFA. Google has made a change, so I believe it's for Google administrators, they all must have MFA now. And I think Salesforce is changing that as well. If you're a Salesforce admin, you must have multi-factor authentication turned on. And, you know, that's going to upset a lot of people, but sometimes forcing users to do it by policy or even by regulation if there's a law in the federal gov- US federal government that says, if you want to do business with the federal government, all your users and admins, anyone that touches our data must have multi-factor
0: authentication. Well, that's for some companies, that's a requirement, right? So in order to get like SOC 2, type 2, um, certification, you have to have some level of FMA. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your company has to apply that. So I think recently at a company I was at, it was, I was getting MFA'd like every 15, 30 minutes. Right. So it's good. It's just a a little too much at times, but again, it's, it's, it's for the greater good, right. If you're looking at it, I still, I'm still lost with the idea that people aren't applying that more. I know I've tried to do it with everything that I can, from all the applications or SaaS applications that I use for personal use. It's like, it, it's, it's a, it's a must for me, especially since my password is, I love Brian So
1: <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you and me both, baby. <laughs> nice plug. I think one of the biggest, or here's something I don't even understand now that I'm thinking about it. Cause you know, as you kind of alluded to, uh, Glenn, constantly getting prompted to reauthenticate. Right. However, on my personal device, that has my email. I, I only change that once the password is reset or if it's changed, which happens, you know, every four weeks or whatever our security standard would be. So why am I not being prompted on these devices? Like I get prompted on, you know, a Chrome web browser, but I'm not getting prompted with the default mail app. I wonder what that, what's going on there. Well, the default mail app, though, you get prompted by the actual app itself if
0: you've logged into another device, right? So the actual Gmail application can two-factor you as well.
1: But it only two-factors me once. Correct. That's true. But it's not doing that's it true.
0: every 15 minutes. Like That's true. Chrome Maybe
1: browser. because that's
0: a little bit more
2: chattier. <laughs> yeah, and there's, they imagine. there's also the passwords you can generate. Uh, that are single use, that you can only use it for one app. I remember Xbox was like this because Xbox had no concept of multi-factor authentication, so you just put in this really long random password and it can only be used on one device. So then, you're technically multi-factored in because you had to log in as an admin and then generate this one-time password that can only be used on one device. It's
1: possible they do it that way. Didn't you think from with from a SOC compliant or FedRAMP compliance, you'd have to almost have that? iphone or ipad being prompted for second factor authentication all the time as well to be effective
2: yes and i have seen it in such a way that if you're i know for microsoft 365 they can block you from using the native app and you have to use the the outlook app the real outlook app and there they can they can definitely enforce that so there's it's technically possible to do it but yeah i don't know how they get around the that persistence issue of your well, take, your
0: mail app. Uh, well, even take that to Okta, right? So you've got an Okta app on your device. It approves; It's the second factor. Do you authenticate to that 15 times a day or no, right? That's no, I don't think that's any different than your email app on your phone.
1: I'm just the saying policy. I get prompted to re-auth on, you know, on corporate email within mm-hmm. Chrome browser Multiple times a day, oh, for yeah. for a mobile device zero, right? It's yeah. the only time I have a password change. So yeah. there must be something going on. There must be an exemption there that makes yeah. Brian yeah. Yeah. a PC hole. to do so. That's yeah. it. <laughs> something about you IMAP, make...
3: maybe. Yeah, watch someone make...
1: from compliance is listening. They're like, "Oh my god!" Sixty five hundred pissed off people at Brian for ringing this up. So Bang, if you Brian. make their,
3: the bag. if you make the
0: request look like it's coming from a mobile device, then you won't get authenticated again. <laughs>
3: everybody's going to change their uh, user agent string <laughs> all at once. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <That's> all,
2: right. <laughs> all right. Well, the second story here related to our original MFA story is that MFA adoption is increasing so rapidly that phishing actors have to switch from the traditional website cloning method to a full reverse proxy method, something like evil jinx, one of Brian's favorite tools. This mess, this method captures the username, password and one-time password it sends it to the attacker but it also sends it to the the legitimate website so the user is none the wiser
1: well hijacks the 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 cookie session right but here's here's what uh microsoft has done to counter this so are you guys aware of microsoft continuous access evaluation i'm familiar with the concept but not the microsoft specific version of it so before, when they would auth you, they, they would do the, the posturing and all that good stuff and then give you this session cookie that was good for, you know, however long, you know, eight hours, 24 hours. And if you moved it from device to device, you're good to go. Now what they're doing is they're tying that to your IP address, meaning that every single request you come in, have coming through, once you've authenticated, if you came from this one IP address, then all your traffic should come from that IP address. And if it doesn't, then it's no longer good, right? You have to, you're forced to re-auth. Why does this suck, right? This is, think about it, right? 100, this means that you have to basically backhaul all of your traffic to a single location to maintain the persistence of that IP address. It is anti-cloud. I don't understand why Microsoft is so big in on this. And let me guess, it's going to require a higher paid license that most
2: companies don't subscribe to. Uh, maybe I haven't looked into it. Just like logging, like logging for the longest time required E5 licensing. It's like, why why would you make people pay extra for security logs? I'm like, okay, I get why they would do it. But yeah, if you want attribution, you want incident response, you got to pay for logging. Like how ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I don't see this. So it's CAE uh, for sure. I do not see it taken off. I think you have highly mobile users, right? You're on your home Wi-Fi Jump off, you tether to your phone, boom, prompted for reauthentication. Go to Starbucks, boom, prompted for reauthentication. Jump on a Southwest Airlines flight, boom, prompted for authentication again. This is not going to go over very well. It just
0: sounds like regular authentication for a corporate enterprise. It's <laughs> not going to work for private citizens, but yeah.
2: Not a huge fan of it. That's all we talked to you about a lot on this podcast. You could have security or you can have convenience. You can rarely have both. And this is more secure, but it's less convenient for the users. I think the end goal of, I think that's probably the, the summary from these two stories. The end goal is we want multi-factor authentication as much as possible. But as Brian said, we want to make it as seamless to the users as possible. And if anyone has a great idea, I think we've probably built the next billion plus dollar
1: business you should check to see the device, right? Is the device corporate owned? Is it Azure jo- domain joined? Is there a certificate? Maybe you have a partnership with, or, you know, endpoint security like CrowdStrike and you can hone in on their ZTA score, their zero trust assessment score and make posturing decisions based off of that is way better than taking all your traffic for all your worldwide employees and backhauling it to San Francisco just so you can maintain a good security policy in the, uh, in the name of security, but kill user experience. In my opinion, God, if there's only a technology that did that. Oh wait, <laughs> I think Zscaler does
3: that. I'm gonna sound familiar.
1: <laughs> Am so, i I'm preaching to the choir here. My bad. Uh, no. so a couple I'll of look. vendors have tried this. Uh,
2: I remember going to Microsoft Ignite back in the day and with Windows Hello, if you had a Windows phone and Windows Hello enabled device, like that would act as your second factor. Just merely the presence of your Windows phone would be a significant factor. I know Google does this with Android as well. If you try to log into your Gmail account and your Android phone is present and nearby, then you could bypass the multi-factor authentication. Now, the problem is tying all these vendors together with something that everybody always has with them. You know, Apple, I'm sure, has some... Form as well, but Apple, Microsoft, Google—they just cannot agree on one standard. You're carrying three devices, or it only works a third of the
1: time. You know what? We need a Bluetooth-enabled multi-factor AR fifteen. And FT right possibly
2: there, go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> just because you get to carry your AR fifteen around with you, Brian, doesn't mean the rest of us can.
1: Well, dang it! You know, back to the drawing board. Yeah, good idea though. In Probably like 38 states.
2: All right, for our next topic, I guess we can file this under... We should have seen this one coming. (laughs) Apple's AirTags, which allows people to track items in case they're lost or stolen, with great power comes great responsibility. Apple built in multiple anti-stalking features to ensure they're not abused to unlawfully track people, such as stalking an ex-lover or tracking a car to steal it later. One of the anti-stocking features is that the AirTag will start beeping if it's separated from the phone that it's tied to in order to notify people around that a device is nearby and tracking them. Well, now people are selling AirTags with the speaker physically disconnected or removed, effectively removing the safeguard and making them safe to use for stocking purposes. The sellers are charging up to three times the normal price of an AirTag for this service, and they claim that they've disabled the speaker so you could track your bike or your car and not tip off a thief that an air tag was there. I can sort of see that, but it's still concerning when people remove these anti-stalking
1: safeguards. So I, I have a set of keys that I had cut from my, my mother-in-law's house. And every time I walk up, like on the little lockbox, it's, it's singing to me every single time and I cannot figure it out until right now. It's because... It is paired to, to my device, and when I'm gone for you know any certain amount of time, that's why it's making noise. Look at you; you're educating the host. Good job, Chris. We're here not just to educate, but to entertain.
0: You know, I love the idea of the whole AirTag thing, but I you, you kind of go both sides, right? Like, I gave AirTags to my kids. And it's on their keychain. We're all, you know, there's five of us riding in the car and then four of our phones are buzzing saying that someone's stalking us. So <laughs> it's like, this is dumb. Like, why can't it know that there's a family of five sitting inside the car? We're all traveling to the same place. So, and I, and I need to see the other side of it too. Like someone just stole my car. I've got an air tag in the car. I'd like for the thief to not be able to disable my air tag. So there, there's got to be some better way around this well if apple finally
2: allowed icloud family to track it then that would go a long way because your your kids are going to be in your icloud family so you can say this isn't a foreign device this is part of our family but apple has not supported icloud family with this yet
3: So, so i have to admit i'm speaking from a position of ignorance here i don't own any AirTags yet i'm sort of aware of them but i haven't had cause to purchase any yet so prior to getting ready to record this show. I hadn't really known much about this AirTag hacking thing. So I started poking around online, went to YouTube and I found a 90 second video of a guy disabling the speaker in an AirTag without damaging it physically. Like he used the edge of a box cutter, popped the patch off, ripped the speaker magnet out, put it back together and it still looked brand new. And he did it in less than two minutes while he was showing how to do it. So I think he could do it faster if he really wanted to. There's a part and, two that
1: episode.
3: Oh, is there? <laughs> yeah,
1: it's Hux putting the Z scare
3: logo on it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: just walked right into insane. that. <laughs> but no, it just,
3: it really got me wondering, like, I imagine in Air, AirTags 2.0, you know, which is inevitable, that'll be coming, it'll be smaller, have better battery life, that's how it always works. But you have to assume that smart people at Apple are thinking about this stuff because they know it's terrible PR. You got to figure this isn't a thing that couldn't have been done with prior tracking devices like tiles that have been around for years but never got anywhere near the adoption rate of the air tag just because tile was a startup and apple isn't anymore so it just got me wondering if in a future version of air tags apple made it you know changed the design so that removing the speaker killed the air tag would would that be a net gain or would that be a setback for for the airtag users, the airtag ecosystem
1: you're, you're looking at this the wrong way guys they're going to use copious amounts of epoxy so my advice to you invest into whatever company apple decides to buy the epoxy from that's what they're <laughs> gonna do to stop that magnet from being hijacked yeah that was it's one of the suggestions make it
2: tamper resistant that if someone removes the speaker the device is useless although we we get into the arms race for that that they're going to find some way to bypass that or to trick it into thinking the speakers there, but it's actually not. And then someone else in this article made a comment about the tile tracker that said after a few weeks of use, the speaker disables itself anyway because they're made so cheap.
0: Yeah, but... This is a battery thing too, right? I mean, how long can that battery really, really last? And guess what? You're still going to have to get it serviced and open to to begin with. And is that something that they can afford to have billions of these things show up back at Apple because they're the only ones that can service these things? That'd be pretty bad. Yeah. And then
2: there's the whole right to repair movement too.
3: Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's like multiple corners that they could easily paint themselves into depending on whether or if they try to... I was gonna say, try to address this problem, but I'm not even sure that it is a problem. It's a theoretical thing that you can learn how to do, but then the people that do it are sort of shooting themselves in the foot in the sense that they're taking away a functionality that they might actually want in the device. So I don't know, I I, uh, I think I've talked myself into thinking of it as like, it's sort of a, a neutral device that can be used for good or evil just depending on on yeah. who's holding it and what they what their intent is.
0: What they should do is before they hand that out, you've got to sign the clause that says, With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs>
3: yeah, I'm
2: sure criminals
0: will, will obey that
2: after
1: signing that. Well.
3: Yeah. Buy a five packet, it comes with web shooters. It's perfect.
1: Yeah. Well, the good news is, right, all this attention is just going to breed more innovation around it. So. I'm excited Hopefully. to see what happens. Yeah, that's that's the hope. Yeah, some of the a couple of the negative
2: PR stories Huxley was talking about. So, a Sports Illustrated model was stalked with an air tag for hours in New York City back in January. Just this past week, a Connecticut man was charged with stalking after police witnessed him attempting to place an air tag in a car. And then we did a story a couple episodes ago about uh, thieves in Canada putting these in high-end cars and then tracking them to where they're they're not. It's not so public, and they just steal the car later, but they were allowed to, to track it because uh, they threw an air tag on the car.
0: Those people didn't know they were getting tagged because they were they had androids.
3: That's the first mistake. Yeah. Never use an yeah. Android device. <laughs> they have bigger problems.
2: <laughs> well, we continue to get great comments about our Dad Joke of the Week. Dad Joke of the Week. This week, our guest Huxley is up.
3: All right. I, I went back and forth on this a few times, but I decided to share with you guys a dad joke that my son wrote when he was like six or seven. I think he had learned what the concept was and he finally dropped one on me, which I love. What did the plate say to the other plate? What's that? Lunch is on me. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. We got wow, son wow, jokes wow, up wow. in here. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's good one.
1: Nice. <laughs> How old is your, if you don't mind me asking, how old is your boy?
3: He is 11 now. He'll be 12 in May. Freaking me out. Nice. We're getting
1: old. We're getting old boys.
3: Yeah, it's scary.
2: All right, to wrap things up. Ransomware authors are not always after money. Some just want likes and subscribers. Multi-factor authentication adoption rate on Azure AD is low, but attackers are still pivoting to reverse proxy phishing methods. AirTags with the anti stalking features removed are popping up on Etsy and eBay. And it's been 25 years since Apple acquired Steve Jobs' Next, which changed the course of Apple forever. That's all we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. Follow us on Instagram, at PepCacPodcast. Thank you to all our listeners and subscribers who rated us 5 stars in the iTunes Store and Spotify and left us a review. We appreciate you all spreading the word to help grow the show. The best way to find us is to search for the PepTac Podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. For my co-host, Brian Beach, Glamadina, and our guest, Huxley Dunsany, I'm Chris Lloyd. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week, and as always, have a nice day.
0: Have a good one, everyone. Thank you.
1: Miss your smell. Have a nice day.